The debt ceiling. Why do we have it? Why do we hit it? Why do politicians fight about it? What happens if they don't raise it? This is Your Investing Questions answered by Jason Kelly, and I am Jason Kelly. If you'd like to record a question to be answered in a future episode, call me 24-7 at 310-734-8889. Almost every question I received in the past week involved America's debt ceiling. It's all over the news and people are worried about it, especially investors. Rather than play multiple recordings of people asking roughly the same thing, I'm going to lump all of them together to be addressed in this one episode covering different angles on the debt ceiling debacle. Most of what I cover today, I already covered in the last two issues of my weekly investing newsletter, The Kelly Letter. So subscribers, feel free to turn this off now if you'd rather not go through it again. However, you might find it useful to hear it another way. You probably already recognize the way I characterize it as a debt ceiling debacle, which is what I titled it in the letter. Let's get a little background on what this even is. People hear a lot about it and don't even know what what we're talking about. So let's make sure that everybody listening to this does. It's the U.S. Constitution that authorizes only Congress to borrow money on the credit of the country. That's Article 1, Section 8, for those wanting to check my facts. From the founding of the country until 1917, Congress would directly authorize each new round of debt issued. But in World War I, in order to create more flexibility around this financing mechanism, Congress modified the way it would authorize debt, and that was in, in 1917 in the Second Liberty Bond Act. Under that act, Congress established what it called an aggregate limit, or the ceiling, which is what we call today the debt ceiling, on the total amount of new bonds that could be issued, thereby growing the national debt. It's persisted ever since then, and for a long time, it just was sort of a a, a rote background government process. Nobody thought much about it, just sort of a, a functionary thing that had to be taken care of. Since 1960, for example, the limit has been lifted 78 times, and Democrats have been in the White House for 30 of those years and worked with Congress to get 29 of those increases. Republican presidents have done it 49 times. Most of the time, raising or suspending the limit is just the, the the last part of the federal budget and spending process. But in recent times, it's become a political wedge, a political lever, really, that either side can use against the other side in power. Well, the volume's gone up a lot recently because America hit its debt ceiling limit last Thursday. We are at $31.4 trillion. All bills are still being paid for now because the Treasury is using its so-called extraordinary measures to move government assets around and provide cash. So you don't see any any difference day-to-day in the United States. But later this year at some point, some say spring, some say summer, some say we can hold out till fall, but sometime later this year, cash will not be available for the government to repay its bondholders and other creditors for the loans that have already come due. Not good. (laughs) Not good, but not new. Let's go back through just a little bit of history around this and why we probably know roughly what's going to happen, but how it could be different this time. Dangerous phrasing, I know, but 
A lot of analysts say so. Some Republicans are saying that defaulting on the debt might not be so bad for the United States. Democrats, of course, counter this, saying that a default would pause critical government functions, including health care, and cause a financial crisis. The Democrats are correct in this one, but that doesn't give them many points because the last time we went through this, they were on the other side saying we must control government spending, meaning Republican spending, and they threatened it. So both sides have gone through this. Nobody's clean. They both, they both stink when it comes to managing the fiscal house of the United States. But in this latest round, we have Republicans in the bad boy seat, and it's led by new House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican of California who said straight up that he and his contingent will use the debt limit standoff to force spending cuts and reduce the national debt. Now, remember, whenever a Republican talks about spending cuts, he or she means spending priorities of Democrats need to be cut. Whenever a Democrat talks about the responsible need to cut spending, they usually mean defense and other Republican priorities. So both sides spend like wild. When either side talks about reducing spending, they mean on the priorities of the other side. Okay, There's nobody pure involved in any of this, which is why we have this fiasco on repeat. Republicans needed to go through 15 rounds of voting um, before McCarthy could even become the Speaker of the House. That's how cantankerous and contentious this, this Congress is, which does not bode well for this debt ceiling being raised without without repercussions. As part of McCarthy selling his soul to become Speaker of the House, he needed to agree to swear, rather, to the, 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 the hardcore hawkish contingent of his Republican Party that he would never pass a debt ceiling increase without spending cuts attached in exchange for the votes from that hardline caucus. And... Just a couple weeks ago, the House adopted new rules that will make it even harder to raise the debt limit and easier for those cantankerous Republicans to demand spending cuts as a condition. McCarthy himself said on Fox News a couple weeks ago, quote, one of the greatest threats we have to this nation is our debt. We don't want to just have this runaway spending, end quote. No mention of defense in there, which counts as runaway spending. He, of course, means runaway spending by Democrats, particularly this, this, this guy in the White House at the moment, that's President Joe Biden. And Biden's side said, we won't negotiate at all over the debt ceiling limit. Congress must raise it with no strings attached. So too bad. The most recent increase happened in late 2021 to $31.4 trillion. That's what we hit last Thursday. Biden says, we're not negotiating. McCarthy says, we'll sink this ship if you don't. We've been here before. The last time it was this big was back in 2011 when the Obama administration butted heads with congressional Republicans. It was resolved then in the nick of time, but not without harmful effects. The Treasury wrote in an October 2013 report about the potential macroeconomic effect of debt ceiling brinkmanship. From that report, quote, a default would be unprecedented and has the potential to be catastrophic. Credit markets could freeze. The value of the dollar could plummet. U.S. interest rates could skyrocket, the negative spillovers could reverberate around the world, and there might be a financial crisis and recession that could echo the events of 2008 or worse. End quote. Yes, it would be very bad. Almost everything in the global financial system is priced to U.S. treasuries. If treasuries are no longer a guaranteed investment, we would have a planet without safe haven investments. That would be 
quite an enormous crash, I'm sure. Now, I'll come back to this in a little bit. It could be good news that the consequences would be so dire because, therefore, we're not going to go there. But some people think that it might not be the case this time, that this this new contingent of Republicans are hell-bent on making a point and don't mind sinking the ship in order to make that point. Uh, Something to keep in mind is that none of this brinkmanship has done a thing for spending in the past. You have to understand about this debt ceiling problem. Politicians love to conflate the debt ceiling with the budget. There are different things, but someone tuning in casually doesn't know that. So they hear that Kevin McCarthy wants to rein in runaway government spending. He is going to vote against raising the debt limit. What they don't hear in all that is that uh, Kevin McCarthy already voted to raise the spending. Now, for the debt limit, we're just voting on whether or not to pay for the spending that's already come due. That's it. You must keep that distinction in mind. And even if McCarthy voted against some things, look, he's part of Congress. He's part of the government system that's run things out of control. And remember back in 2011, they said that the, the Republicans fighting against raising the debt limit. They took it down to the, the, the wire on July 31st, just two days before the Treasury estimated that the borrowing authority of the United States would be exhausted. But they did so in exchange for a complex deal of spending cuts. Right? They tied this to that, that, okay, okay, we'll barely raise the debt ceiling in time to avoid a, the, the first credit default by the country, uh, but no, only, unless, only if you will agree to these, these spending cuts. <laughs> okay, uh, How much good did that do? Let's see here. Um, there has been no meaningful reduction in federal spending. Ready? This is U.S. federal spending according to Federal Reserve Economic Data. That's FRED, run by the St. Louis Fed. U.S. federal spending in trillions of dollars, 3.9 in 2011, 3.8 2012, 3.8 2013, 3.9 2014, 4.0 2015, 4.1 2016, 4.2 2017, 4.5 2018, 4.8 2019, 6.7 2020, 7.2 2021, and the Treasury estimates in 2022 it was 6.3. Yay! The spending keeps rising. It's a very clear long-term trend line here. All right. So from July 18th to August 15th, 2011, uh, when 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 the Republicans were resisting this and, and insisting on on spending being reduced, they didn't reduce any spending at all. They did eventually raise the debt ceiling, but their shenanigans did cause the S and P 500 to decline 16 percent from July 18th to August 15th of 2021. So this this has real-world repercussions, especially for investors, for sure. And that that's even if the debt ceiling does get raised at the last minute. If it doesn't, well, then you get into those dire consequences that that the, the, the Treasury Department was talking about in that report I read earlier. Federal debt just continues to go up through all different changes of, of leadership. Republicans and Democrats both send it higher. It, not, nothing they do around the debt ceiling reduces the debt. We can go back to Fred again, the Federal Reserve economic data. Look at this. <laughs> uh, by the way, just a little backgrounder here. Um, <laughs> 
it's just so hilarious. Back in, in uh, hilarious in a not so funny way. It, it's just such a clown show in Washington. You, you, you can't believe these are adults running things. Um, from Note 33 that I sent on August 7th, 2011. All right, so this is me quoting myself from an August 2011 Kelly letter. Quote, Observers realize that cheering Washington for raising the debt ceiling to pay the bills it racked up would be like cheering the fire department for putting out the fire it started while leaving red-hot coals in the rubble. The details, debt ceiling up to up $2.4 trillion, debt reduced by $917 billion over 10 years. A bipartisan committee will find another $1.2 trillion in cuts by December 23rd, or automatic cuts will kick in. End quote. Look, these weren't even spending cuts. They're reductions in planned spending increases. Nothing was fixed. The financial house was just as out of order as before the whole farce, the whole kabuki theater of the debt ceiling showdown. And no, of course debt was not reduced by $917 billion over 10 years. The whole thing was meaningless. Instead, the debt doubled. Here's the trajectory, again, according to Federal Reserve economic data. U.S. federal debt in trillions of dollars. 14.7 14.7 in 2011, 16.0 in 2012, 16.9 in 2013, 17.8 in 2014, 18.3 in 2015, 19.5 in 2016, 20.1 in 2017, 21.4 in 2018, 22.5 in 2019, 26.1 in 2020, 28.7 in 2021, and according to an estimate by Statista, 31.4 in 2022, and that was the debt ceiling we just hit. So great job, guys. All those showdowns along the way, all that grandstanding about cutting spending, meaning the other side's spending priorities, well, with both sides hopscotching back and forth, flip-flopping in their disingenuous way, the federal debt has continued marching higher the entire time. So it's disingenuous for Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans to talk about how, how what deficit hawks and what debt hawks they are, just as it was disingenuous when Democrats talked about it, and they will be talking about it at some point again in the future in the same disingenuous way. This is not a partisan look at this. It's just, it's a bipartisan clown show. How about that? Washington will not deviate from its spending trajectory. Of course not. Politicians are beholden to special interest groups that pay them money to advocate for those special interests, and nobody ever says, we want less money. So it's going to keep going up forever. What you need to understand also is the bipartisan nature of how it just keeps going up and up and up. And for that, I'm going to turn to last Sunday's Kelletter email where I looked again at the debt ceiling and and just how it's become more front and center now because of having hit the debt ceiling last week, last Thursday. Um, the, reason, the reason politicians will not reduce America's spending is because that requires cutting defense and entitlements. Republicans won't cut defense. Democrats won't cut entitlements. This is what I mean about when Republicans talk about reducing spending, they mean entitlements. When, when Democrats talk about reducing spending, they mean defense. Neither will t- touch their pets. They only want to touch the other side's spending priorities. That's, that's all they ever want to go after. And the other side doesn't agree, no surprise. And so nothing ever really gets reduced. Now, the funny thing is, when a Republican occupies the White House, Democrats decry runaway spending by Republicans and point at defense. When a Democrat occupies the White House, Republicans decry runaway spending by Democrats and point at entitlements. It's the 
this is not new. It's a classic guns or butter debate. Each side gets serious about controlling spending only when the other is in power in a bid to force that other side to cut its pet spending area. We can see this with specific politicians, and I, I find this instructive. Take Barack Obama when he was a senator back in 2006. He now, now this is key because because he's the one who was in the White House in 2011 when we had the first big debt ceiling showdown. And at that time, of course, Obama was arguing on the side of we we must raise this debt limit because we have to pay our bills. That's why this is instrumental to go back to his position as Senator Barack Obama in 2006. Then he gave a floor speech decrying soaring national debt. And some of the language he used was repeated by the Republicans who resisted raising the debt ceiling in 2011 when Obama was in the White House. Both sides even exchanged the same speaking points uh, when they want to take the other side's position, which they do on a, on a cyclical basis. So in the midst of that 2011 fight, Obama told George Stephanopoulos on ABC that his 2006 decision to vote against raising the debt limit had merely been a political vote, and then his mindset changed when he became president. <laughs> yeah. From Obama's March 16, 2006 speech on the floor of the Senate, lifted straight from the congressional record, quote, Mr. President, I rise today to talk about America's debt problem. The fact we are here today to debate raising America's debt limit is a sign of leadership failure. It is a sign that the U.S. government can't pay its own bills. It is a sign that we now depend on ongoing financial assistance from foreign countries to finance our government's reckless fiscal policies. Over the past five years, our federal debt has increased by $3.5 trillion to $8.6 trillion. That is trillion with T. Numbers that large are sometimes hard to understand, and the cost of our debt is one of the fastest growing expenses in the federal budget. This rising debt is a hidden domestic enemy, robbing our cities and states of critical investments. America has a debt problem and a failure of leadership. Americans deserve better. I therefore intend to oppose the effort to increase America's debt limit. End quote. And end of me attempting to sound like former President Obama. In 2011, he argued that Republicans then resisting raising the debt ceiling under his administration were the ones engaged in reckless fiscal behavior. Now, this is where it's funny. The speaker after Obama back on March 16, 2006 was Iowa Republican Chuck Grassley. He's 89 years old now, still in the Senate, which little sidebar explains some of our problems, doesn't it? We don't change the people around very often. So there's Chuck Grassley, 89 years old, still in the Senate, just this month became the longest-serving Republican in U.S. Senate history. Here's what he said after Obama's speech in March 2006. The Republican, I hasten to emphasize here, Chuck Grassley, the Republican, quote, Mr. President, all right, I won't mimic this again. Mr. President, I urge my colleagues to vote in favor of final passage. Raising the debt limit is necessary to preserve the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. We cannot, as a Congress, pass spending bills and tax bills and then refuse to pay our bills. Refusing to raise the debt limit is like refusing to pay your credit card bill after you've used your credit card. The time to control the deficits and debt is when we are voting on the spending bills and the tax bills that create it. Raising the debt limit is about meeting the obligations we have already incurred. We must meet our obligations. Vote for this bill. End quote. Yeah, that's right. That was Obama arguing against raising the debt ceiling limit and Grassley, the old Republican, arguing that we must raise our debt limit. 
both saying they're the responsible side. Well, in 2011, former debt ceiling hawk Obama in the White House argued for raising the debt ceiling. Former debt ceiling dove Grassley argued for capping the debt ceiling. They switched sides. From Grassley's July 21st, 2011 floor statement, Quote, last year, President Obama virtually ignored his own deficit reduction commission. This year, he offered a budget for 2012 that would increase spending, increase taxes, add trillions to our debt. For most of this year, blah, 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 where's the economy today? Terrible, terrible. The trajectory of our debt is alarming. It will soon undermine our economy and our economic growth. If we do nothing, our children and grandchildren have fewer economic opportunities than we have had. It's a moral issue. Without a plan to put our fiscal situation on a better path, the next generations will have a lower quality of life than the one we've experienced. We can't let that happen. We must take action to correct our course. I urge my colleagues to support the cut cap and balance plan, end quote, kind of quote, end quote, slash paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah, Obama and Grassley, after all the speechifying, America's national debt is now up to $31.4 trillion. So good job, guys. Both sides are fiscally reckless. Neither is serious about refusing to raise the debt ceiling to pay America's bills. Both playing games around the nation's creditworthiness, which is unforgivable, but apparently unpreventable. So here we are today. The 2023 round of Debt Ceiling Kabuki features President Joe Biden in the D corner pretending to care about spending and posturing for a swift debt ceiling increase, and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy in the R corner pretending to care about spending and posturing for a debt ceiling cap. Last Friday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that America would be unable to prevent a default if the federal government breached its debt ceiling. And she cautioned that the Treasury can't go on forever uh, figuring out ways to pay bondholders. The White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, said in a statement that Biden looks forward to meeting with McCarthy to discuss a range of issues. She emphasized that, quote, raising the debt ceiling is not a negotiation. It is an obligation of this country and its leaders to avoid economic chaos, end quote. Uh-huh, you bet. Just ask Barack Obama and Chuck Grassley. Depending on the date, either could supply the answer you want, and the same could be said of Biden and McCarthy. Yes, it's a grave risk around not raising the debt ceiling, but it's so grave that I find it highly unlikely to happen. McCarthy and his people will amp up the volume and drag this out for all its political worth, but I do believe ultimately the debt ceiling will get raised. Not everybody agrees with me. They say this time really is different. Um, they, they point to um, the, it, the, some of the people in Kevin McCarthy's caucus here, the ones that forced him to swear that he would never raise a debt ceiling without, without spending cuts attached to it. One good example of the people deep in that caucus is a, a representative from Texas named Chip Roy, who said, uh, quote by him, we believe there should ought to be specific concrete limits on spending attached to a debt ceiling increase, end quote. He and others like him say they want to achieve a balanced budget in 10 years using spending cuts. But remember what Chuck Grassley said and what is simply the case. The debt ceiling fight is not the time to do that. <laughs> and they know that. They're being disingenuous. They just are aware that the public has trouble differentiating between the budget and the debt ceiling. 
Rube's not paying attention, look at this and think, well, if we don't raise the debt ceiling, we can't go further into to debt. The problem's solved. Now, understand that, no, you need the additional debt to pay for the spending that these same bunch of disingenuous people already approved. And Maya McGinnis uh, talked about this recently. She is the president of the nonpartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget. And she's, she's about the best person you can go to for budget restraint and shrinking the deficit, okay? And even she said last week on NPR, without qualification, the debt limit must be increased or suspended. And it should be done as quickly as possible so that it doesn't cause undue problems in financial markets and the economy itself. She said, quote, politicians who are rightly worried about the nation's unsustainable borrowing path should take a hard stance against new borrowing, yes, and oppose legislation that would add to the debt rather than threatening not to pay bills on borrowing that has already been incurred, end quote. Well, echoes of Chuck Grassley there, right? So we know Republicans are aware of this. Chuck Grassley himself, the longest-serving Republican in Senate history, said so. And, and Maya McGinnis says so as well. And, and it's just plain, plain common sense, really. Now, I, I mentioned a, a, few, a few moments ago that I, I think the consequences of a default would be so dire that it's just not going to happen. But Chip Roy and the other diehards in the Republican contingent here, maybe McCarthy himself, talk about sinking the ship in order to make the point. We're going to have to destroy the country in order to save it. But despite that kind of rhetoric, despite the analysts saying this time really could be different because we have such dug-in opposition here. The credit agencies, Standard & Poor's and Moody's, agree with me. They both weighed in on it last week. S&P expects that, quote, key economic policies will remain stable and largely predictable. Despite many years of polarization, the executive and legislative branches of government have shown an ability to pass crucial legislation based on last-minute compromises, end quote. Yeah, after pathological grandstanding, so... Gird your loins for that. Moody's chimed in that, quote, given an extremely fractious political environment, we anticipate an agreement will unlike, will likely rather, only be reached very late or in an incremental fashion, potentially contributing to flare-ups in financial market volatility, end quote. And you should keep in mind that whatever spending agreements that show up as a result won't mean a thing. They didn't in 2011, right? Look how that debt just keeps marching up. So does the spending keep marching up. So everything you see is simply grandstanding. Nothing will be solved. It is just scoring political points, raising funds, and so on. And possibly crashing stock markets. We could be in for that, just as the, the credit agencies said. And we were in 2011. So... Yes, I would say high risk of the debt ceiling circus causing volatility in the stock market. We're on to a nice recovery so far this year, and that could get interrupted later this spring, uh, summer. And it could be a combination of factors, including the Federal Reserve's plans around interest rates, the trajectory of inflation. And we could get a debt ceiling showdown that shows up at just the wrong time, uh, among those other factors. We could get a pretty good uh, downdraft because of this. No way of knowing, of course, which is why we don't try to predict these things, and my system doesn't need to predict these things. We'll just react to the ensuing or resulting, rather, price change, as we always do. But I, I should acknowledge that, that people who are afraid that, that the stock market could crash because of the debt ceiling fight have a legitimate concern there. Yes, it, it very well could. 
Uh, Moody's does think that even a default would be less catastrophic than worst-case scenarios describe. I really don't like to give this much airtime, but they did say that. Their credit analyst wrote last week, quote, the ratings impact of a missed interest payment would likely be limited, with the sovereign rating likely remaining close to AAA, end quote. Well, now, Moody's, let's not trumpet that too loudly. You don't want to give McCarthy and Chip Roy any more ideas as they go into this whole thing, right? <laughs> so that's that's the story, folks. That's why we have the debt ceiling. That's why we're back at the debt ceiling. That's why we're going to go through another round of, this time, Republicans posturing that they're the responsible ones trying to trying to save the country from fiscal recklessness, even though on, at, at other points they've been on the other side, arguing the other way. And Democrats have been on both sides of this too, as I illustrated with Obama and Grassley. Just give Chip Roy and Kevin McCarthy another cycle to go by, and they'll be arguing that it is downright irresponsible to even consider not raising our debt limit to pay our bills. And you can already hear them trying to get all folksy to say, I pay my credit card bills. Don't you pay your credit card bills? Of course you do. We're solid citizens. We have to have our country pay its bills too, don't we? We should ought to get those bills paid, etc., etc. You can just, <laughs> you can see it happening right now, and it definitely will. This is a disingenuous crowd. But I do believe, ultimately, we will raise the debt ceiling limit. We will keep borrowing and spending. But the good news is we won't affect our creditworthiness and well we, we might but we won't we won't permanently wreck the economy and as evidence of that just think back to how you've never heard anyone say the economy is shot because of the debt limit negotiation of 2011 your kids are clothed you're still eating there's gas in the car or a charge on your car's battery if it's an electric car <laughs> And uh, everything's fine. So there was no permanent damage. There was no permanent change of any kind. It was really just grandstanding in 2011 and all the other times it happened. And it's going to be grandstanding again this year. Might lead to more volatility, yes. But we can't know, and uh, there's nothing to do with that. So let it go. Stand back and watch the totally unnecessary grandstanding on the way. Thank you for listening. This is Your Investing Questions Answered by Jason Kelly, and I am Jason Kelly. To record a question for a future episode, please call my number and leave a message at 310-734-8889. You can subscribe to this podcast from any of the links at jasonkelly.com to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. And I failed to mention very clearly that I write an investing newsletter every Sunday. This is a great time to join the Kelly Letter. Even though we have this volatility on the way, we thrive on volatility around here. Anyway, in the big picture, prices are still low, but the market has been rising pretty steadily at the start of 2023. Don't let the grass grow under your feet. Please become a Kelly Letter subscriber today at jasonkelly.com to start your own market-beating price-automated plans. Current subscribers, as always, thank you for doing business with me. I will see you Sunday.